Welcome to the Military Wire with Mike Schindler. This is the podcast where we interview America's most elite men and women who have served this country. We share their stories of overcoming, their proven lessons in leadership, and their journey to finding mission and purpose. And today's guest changed the world. And before I get into who today's guest is, I want to put a shout out to the segment sponsor, Honest Talk International and Circle for Parents. Both these organizations have a vetted network of experts that are standing by to help our listeners navigate issues related to nutrition, fitness, parenting, relationships, intimacy. I encourage you to visit their site, honestbirthtalk.com and circleforparents.com. And Circle for Parents is circle number four, parents.com. Our guest today, Glenn Eberly, is an Olympian, a former military pilot and founder and the namesake of Boise-based Eberly Stock, a company that designs, manufactures, and sells a range of sporting gears for uh, hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. Glenn, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate your having me, Mike, and 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 add to the, that list for uh, military uh, tactical operators and and, and uh, police. Is that right? So, yeah. yeah, we're we're well established on both sides of the fence, and that's part of the interesting. We have quite a story. Unlike I, I'm excited to unpack so. this story. This is yeah. going to be so cool. I mean, your story. When I was looking at your bio. Um, no kidding. I started reading this thing, and I'm, I, you know, I got this thing against, you know, pilots because yeah, I'm a I, Navy I, guy. I get that. I totally. A, and, and I got, I got a, thinking against Navy guys, so it's nothing personal. <laughs> That's good. So we're going to get along great. It's going to be awesome. But I saw a tag in a piece, and this was pretty, uh, pretty recent, featuring you and your company that stated, "You'd never know it at first glance, but Idaho resident Glenn Everly changed." the world yeah and, and and you spoke that earlier yeah in, uh, in, in the intro and I want to make it clear that I did not feed you that line it's not my you didn't <laughs> no it's you true. didn't it's truly not no my, this was an my... independent 30 third party source <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, no in fact I didn't even know that that was said but it, in, in, in a way it's true and I've done it a couple times in a couple neat ways um, when I say I didn't feed you the line the truth is I've also learned humility you know I've 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 failed and, yeah and, and I've I'm not a perfect human being and and Yet, um, I'm proof that an imperfect human being, being can make a difference, and I've had a blast doing it. And I, I, and really, I would rather, I'm one of those people who can say, I'm really comfortable being me. I'm really glad that I am me, and I'm really glad that we're, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I feel like I'm definitely feeling God's purpose for me on this world. So That is so cool. Yeah. So was, was that, is that part of your DNA? How did you find you? Because one of the things we deal with <laughs> with transitioning service members and their families sure is that lack of, or really a lack of mission and purpose. Yep. And, and that, that's, that drives right to the core that you're speaking as finding yep. you. So how did you find you? So uh, that, great question. And, and, and it's interesting because one of the weird things about me is I've done a lot. I mean, I, yeah. mean, I have chapters of my life that any one of which most people would aspire to and feel really lucky, lucky to have done it. And, and I've got a ton of them. And um, so I, that meaning I've done a lot of things. Um, I, I've, I've been like, in the forefront of a lot of really cool arenas, and I and I really feel blessed and fortunate to have done so. And I, I don't feel special more so than anybody else. I'm just a regular guy. I mean, I sucked at baseball as a kid. You know, I still can't throw a ball. You know, so <laughs> so there's all kinds of things that I'm not good at. Yeah, and and I, and, I, and I recognize that you know that's that, but that's okay. Um, I also you know have at times been in a place where. I was one of the best and expected to, you know, go on and do something magical and it didn't happen. And, you know, that, that fall from the height I felt. Um, so that, so the best example of that is, um, one of these chapters of life, I, I, 
I grew up skiing. I, you know, I grew up as a young boy in Colorado, and then my family moved to Idaho, little town in the middle of nowhere um, when I was 12 years old. And there, it's known an awful lot in the wintertime. There was a really cool ski area, um, two of them, real nearby. And every day after school, we'd ski um, either alpine, you know, running gates, or yeah. ski jumping, or cross-country skiing, you know, so we did, did it all. Um, and, you know, I was a, one of those awkward kids with, you know, scrawny legs and <laughs> yeah you know had to, yeah. had to you know wasn't the most popular kid in school because I didn't play football and couldn't play basketball but um, but I could ski um, I wasn't great at alpine skiing because I didn't have the strength as a youth later on actually it's really funny I, I went on to become an Olympic biathlete you know the sport where you ski and shoot yeah um, did all kinds of cool stuff but in the course of that I was on the military ski team and, and I don't know if you remember the 80 eight Olympics, I think there's a guy, an Italian guy that was really the, a big deal. It was Al, Alberto Tombo, Tomba, Tomba La Bamba was the guy's, you know, it was the guy's nickname. And so I find myself in an alpine ski race in Germany on the U.S. Uh, military ski team going out the gate behind wow. Tomba La Bamba, you yeah. because he's there racing for the Italians in the giant slalom, and I'm there, there racing for the Americans. And he kicked my ass, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll be, can I, I'm sorry, yeah. you know, I hope I can say that. Yeah, <laughs> you'll let us slide, absolutely. <laughs> but, but the yeah. truth is, um, it, yeah. it was just cool to be there. And 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 I was doing it in, you know, the, there's this weird, you know, segment of this European winter sports thing where they combine biathlon, skiing and shooting, and, and give it a point score and combine it with a giant slalom race to kind of prove who's a great all-around skier. Yeah. So I beat the Americans on the U.S. military team at giant slalom when I had muscles. So later in life, I, I could actually alpine ski pretty well, too, is, is the whole point of that. But the whole finding yourself thing goes back to a chapter in life where I was one of the best uh, athletes on the U.S. biathlon team during the is 80s. Is that right? Yeah, so for... For seven years during the 80s, I was on the U.S. biathlon team where, you know, skiing and shooting was my thing. And I was really a good at the shooting part and really efficient at the skiing part, which are two nice combinations to have in that sport. Yeah. So I was really good at it. Um, went to the 84 Olympics, did well for Americans who were, uh, you know, running against cheating Russians and East Germans at the time. They, they all had the state-sponsored no doping kidding. programs, and they were pretty yeah. hard to beat. Yeah. So I, we felt lucky just to be in the, you know, to, to be able to give them a run for their money, even if we didn't win a medal. And... I said this the other day, but the truth is, I'm. I'd a lot rather be me, you know, fought in my fought, fighting my way in the middle of the pack honorably, than one of those guys who was cheating to get on the podium, and, yeah. and ultimately, you know, has the shame of that, and perhaps the, you know, the removal of the medals that were, you know, once the doping progress revealed, that happened to yeah. a bunch of guys. That, that which was hand. a big issue back then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. The, I, I went down that that little path because uh, one of the things that happened was I was I was one of the top guns on the U.S. team, right? So '84 Olympics. All world championships for seven years. The 88 Olympics, I was going to. I was going to go there, and, and I was right at that point where we had some really cool tools in our pockets, which is another part of my story. Um, but I was going I was going for a medal in the 88 Olympics. I was, that at right? that, I was at that level where I thought I could do that. And this was and through the military ski team? Is that well, right? Well, at the time, I, I, I joined the military, and that's another part of my how yeah. I got there. But, but yeah, I was, I was both uh, in the military and on the U.S. biathlon team, uh, basically, uh, at the time. So, but the point is, I didn't make the 88 team. I was one of the top guns. My mind was on Calgary. I was going to go there and I was going to win. Um, and I didn't even make the darn team. And, and it was just this confluence of all kinds of bad luck, you know. And I'm a lucky guy. So yeah. when everything lines up against me, it's like there's a message here. <laughs> and, 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 and it's just funny. I look back at it now. I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't get, I'm glad I had that, that, you know, God's hand stop me because that's really what it felt like. It was like, there's just no way that all the things that happened 
that made the hair's breadth of difference be between me being on that team and not, there's no way that all those things should have happened. So the fact that they did told me I just wasn't, I wasn't meant to go. And the reason why is because that was one of the points where I was taught humility. You know, I was taught that I, you do not have, you know, all things under control. So when you went through that, though, Glenn, how did you handle it? Because well, so, you're, you're so, talking about trial, yeah, so right? Here's the, here's the, here's and you the, make it sound like, well, not a big deal. Yeah, no, but here's the cool thing yeah. is, it, you know, it, it, that the Olympic trials were four races. And so in any one of them, I was a great shooter. And, and I had all these like split bullets where half the bullet goes through the hole to knock the target down, but half doesn't. And, 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 and a micron's difference in any one of those three split bullets would have put me on the team. Um, one day, wow. I had crappy skis every day. One day of decent wax on my skis would have put me on the team. So it was just, it was that close. Yeah. Um, when I, and, I, and, I, and I left the, the last race after putting all my heart into it and feeling like, you know, it's now or never, not knowing if I was going to get on or not. So the guy who knocks on my door in the hotel I was staying at was the, the guy I'd bumped off the 84 team. And, and his name's John Ruger. He shows up and, he, and, he, and he, we cry together. We go through all yeah. this, you know, yeah. <laughs> all this misery. And, and, uh, but it was, what he said was awesome. It was, it was the perfect thing. He goes, you know what? Uh, I, I know exactly what's going to happen because, because I struggle with this because I'd always seen myself as an Olympian. I'd always seen myself as a biathlete and, and being, you know, that, that was who I was. And so I, I realized that, that you're, that's, you're not what you do. You're you and mm, you do things. And good. so I was like, that's, that's the perfect insight, you know, because that put that in perspective, but it's also sort of, it's just a cool way to look at life. And that, um, like, and I, I know for sure, you know, having left the military um, and been a fighter pilot, and any fighter pilot who doesn't tell you he's the best one in the world, well, I, you know, right. <laughs> but right. the truth is, you know, you, you, yeah. the fighter pilot is a, is a, is a special craft, and, yeah. and good ones know they are, and it yeah. was neat to be one, and, and neat to feel like I could, you know, rule the universe from the air if I needed to. Um, leaving that was hard, because it was really one of the things that where my heart really lay. Um, but I left it will, willfully about four times before I finally realized I, realized I shouldn't go back yeah. again, because, because I was being called elsewhere. But, you know, when you tie your identity to something, it's difficult to make the change. And, and the, the cool thing is to know that, you know, we're all going to get old and die. We're all going to yep. be old men someday. We're all going to leave the things we did behind at some point. That's right. And so just recognizing that as a healthy part of life and being able to go, you know what? I did that. That was cool. I'm going to close that chapter of the book and start another one is the secret. Man, that's so good. That's so rich. I love, I mean, because you're talking a couple things like, number one, don't let circumstances define you, right? W whether they're good or bad for that matter. Identity is a whole nother thing uh, that you brought up as sometimes we as humans, our identity becomes what we do yeah. or we allow it to become what we do. So I am X and yep. then we yeah, shape you, that identity. I, if, if, you're, if you're like, I'm still a Navy SEAL, well, no, you're not. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That, that's that's yesteryear. That's yeah. right. So yeah. that's uh, it's such a great point. And so I think uh, identity finding you and I want to I want to drive this point home is finding you has really nothing to do with what you're doing to make money or what you're doing to for enjoyment. It might be a, a part of what's shaping you. Am I? I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's oh, yeah. what I'm getting from what you're saying. I, I think for sure. And, yeah. and, and I'm an intros introspective person, so. Um, you know, I, from a young fellow, was probably putting a lot of thought into this whole meaning of life thing, and um, and I've seen a lot that's taught me what I think the meaning of life is. You know, so I feel lucky in, in that. But but I understand that not everybody has that kind of ability to kind of look at themselves, um, and I totally get it, especially 
especially in high testosterone level stuff, you know, the, or, or whatever, you know, formative it is, but guys in the military or, or women that, that really identify with that and are bond to it, because there's a couple things going on there. It's not just being really good at something, being really good at, at being a machine gunner or whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's the identity of being a part of that group and having that band of brothers, having that camaraderie. Those are the things you walk away from. I mean, honestly, um, when I left the military, I left at 15 years, so I didn't retire, didn't get a green card to go with me. And there's a, we can talk about the reasons why it was just time for me to move on. Yeah. But because um, yeah, not, some would argue we're so close. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, not being able to so go close. back on a base and do what I yeah. do, be part of that community was really yeah. hard for me. You know, and I still think about it. And, and you know, I spent the majority of my time as a guardsman, so I was a part timer. Well, I was really a full time guardsman. So, but I but I wasn't as wedded to the military community as a lot of you know regular military people are, where you have an entire universe that you live within. Yeah, you know, leaving that's hard. I get yeah. that. I totally the entire get it. ecosystem. But, yep. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, the lessons of my life have, you know, made it really clear that, as I just said earlier, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to get old if, if we live that long. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and if you do live long enough, you're going to outlive whatever form or purpose you once had. Maybe your purpose, that purpose then becomes, you know, teaching or telling stories to your grandkids or whatever it is. But, yeah. but um, I think pe some people tend to get trapped in that former that single major thing that they did you know and, and and then those are the guys that get kind of lost but knowing that you know the next purpose becomes marriage or raising a family beyond that or you know, or you know the next profession that you have I mean um, I have guys that work for me that would love to have been in the military that just you can just see that they're just like oh that's really what I wanted to do but they didn't get there for some reason and, and yeah. I've got some of the coolest guys working for me you could ever have and I, but I'm, I'm like, guys, you know, you, you got to just be at peace with that. That's not your purpose. This is your purpose right now. You're doing, you're yeah. going to do something here that's magic. And that's going to be the, that's where you should be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, so yeah, it's so cool. Let's, so your military experience, you trained as an Olympian. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so, so just let me get, tell you a quick funny yeah, story. Yeah, please. Because so, basically, basically, you know, I was a ski racer. I grew up in Idaho. Um, I, I was good at it, so I was being looked at by a lot of the major ski teams at all the universities around the country, and they were trying to get me to come and be, go there. But I, I was into this thing where you carried guns on your back. It was a lot more fun than just yeah. you know cross-country ski racing, and because it was just that dichotomous you know thing of shooting a rifle when you're when you're all full of you know physical energy, stopping yeah. and doing something completely different was just cool, coolest sport ever. Um, so I wanted to go someplace where I could do that. So I ended up at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, and just because I could be on their ski team, but they also, um, I could do biathlon. And while there, I went to the Olympics. I had all this, this cool stuff going on. In the course of that, I was on the U.S. national team, and, it, and the Army, or the military, has, um, as I said earlier, these ski teams or other sports teams where they try to get athletes to, you know, join the Army or whatever and, and, and be on the military team. Yep. So the, the biathlon program in the military is one which, you know, there, there's sort of some gravity there because of the fact that you know uh, what it is that that you know intense exercise with 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 rifles um, is a in marksmanship is a cool pairing and 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 so there's a, a, a it, it's important to some people in the in the military so I, guys are trying to recruit me to join the army they're like just join the army guard you know we're gonna you're doing it anyway we'll pay you to do it it's gonna yeah. be great and I'm like I'm not joining the army there's no way you know <laughs> don't even need, there's I'm just not going down that road and one day a guy goes you know uh, the Idaho Air Guard, they fly F-4s. You could probably be an F-4 pilot, and, uh, and, um, and we'll pay you to ski race. 
And I was like, <laughs> I'm in. I was like, yeah, I'm sold. I really don't yeah. care about ski racing at this point. If I yeah. can go fly one of those things, you know, because yeah. I'd seen them, you know, roaring around. And I thought yeah. that was, I mean, I grew up like any kid, you know, building model airplanes. And, and to think that I could actually be the guy inside of a cockpit flying it, I was just like, I listen, was, I, I Top was Gun sold me. That's how I got yeah, into the Navy. I'm, I'm I, with you. I don't yeah. know how old you are, but I, yeah. but I was right there too. I was, I, like, I, I I was sitting in that movie theater, 1986. <laughs> I totally remember it. Yeah. That next year I was in. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm with yeah. you 100%. It was, 86 is when I was in. It was the same thing. I was yeah. like, yeah, I want to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I had and I had the opportunity to. And and so again, I just you know, anybody looking at me would go that that guy is the luckiest bastard that ever lived. In some ways I really am, but as we said before this, we started talking, um, I feel everybody that lives in America is. I mean, we live in the best country in the world in the, in the history of man. And, yeah, and, I, agreed. and I know that 100%. Um, so good for us. Meanwhile, if you get to do things like fighter, like fight, fly fighter planes, and that's even better, it was, it was, it was really cool. Um, but the, the other thing I know is um, none of that's accidental. You know, I, the yeah. doors were open for me for whatever reason to put me where I am right now. Um, yeah. At the same time, I've worked my tail off. You know, none of this comes for free. Uh, yeah, everything I've done, I've worked really hard to make. And, yeah. And that's part of it too. Well, let's talk about where you're at right now. You you run a company, Everly Stock. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, and I admitted to you before we started the show <laughs> that I, 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 until the script was put in front of me, I had not heard of your company. Yeah. And, and I felt, you know, somewhat bad. And, and you're and Navy then, SEAL. And, no, right. I'm not. Oh, oh, no, I, I, I was personnel okay. assigned okay. to EOD, but. Okay. Uh, uh, so no, I cannot I'm, claim that I was ever a seal, nor would I ever want to go up against my seal brothers because they would take you. me when to you the cleaners. Seal brothers earlier was like, holy crap! Yeah, but no, anyway, good. I don't care what you did. because yeah. we're all in it together. Yeah. But the, the main point being, I would have really been embarrassed had you been a seal and not heard of Everly. Right? No kidding. <laughs> well, see, so I've got an out. But but when I saw that, you know, you you, you developed that gun stock for soft and yeah. and uh, you know for the or pack, right? You know, for the pack. Yeah. 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 I, I was like, man, this is impressive. So that. So you really started changing the world like in 2003. That's when no, that, before that. It mean, was there was before a, there that. Was a, there was a whole other right? thing before that. So, so, yeah. so, so I'll just give you the quick bang, yeah. bang, bang. So I'm on the U.S. team, poor college kid, you know, barely able to afford oatmeal and spaghetti to feed myself and, and working my tail off to, you know, to win an Olympic medal. Uh, we're carrying these 14 or, or 11 and a half pound uh, target rifles around on our back um, that were heavy, but they, we thought they had to be heavy to shoot when you're standing there on cross-country skis. So that paradigm was, you know, stable, heavy rifle, like a normal target rifle. Um, but it sure slowed you down and, and sucked carrying it when you're tired. Um, and also, they broke very easily. So um, it wasn't uncommon to take a wreck. And when you did, you'd always, almost always stand up with your rifle broken in two pieces, broken mm. pistol grip. So I, not having money to buy $400 rifle stocks all the time, decided I'd figure out how to make one. And so I, uh, at the college in those days, picture a college kid making guns, you know? <laughs> you could do that at college in the 85, or in the well, 80s. You right? could. So, yeah. I mean, we used to have so, that little thing that we did around campus where, you know, you'd yeah. run around shooting with those. Team and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I mean, I kept yeah. rifles in my dorm room at the time because yeah. I was an innocent Different American time. kid the way that it should be. It yeah. should still be that way now, honestly. Yeah. But people screwed that up. But yeah. Then I, you know, Dartmouth had a really good workshop in the basement of the art center, and I went down there and made rifle stocks. And then I decided that I, I could make them better. Um, and I ended up um, in the course of deciding to make them better, trying to make them stronger by better. I was like, I think I, I can also make it lighter, and I think I could still shoot a light gun. So picture an 11, 11 and a half pound gun transitioning to a seven and a half pound gun. Wow. Four pounds gone from the thing. Yeah. Four pounds off your back, 
you can ski so much faster. I mean, literally, we did a, a sports medicine study with the, the Nike uh, Sports Medicine Institute sometime in the course of this whole thing. And it was over a minute in a 20-kilometer ski race. That, that you Physiologically, you could ski faster because wow. you weren't carrying those four pounds. So I'm the guy that did that. So I made the gun lighter. The rest of the world went, holy crap, look what the Americans had and tried to outlaw it. And this was all happening in 86. Is that right? And, yep, big deal. And, uh, and, and so I, I basically set the floor weight for the Olympic biathlon rifle. It ended up where they challenged us, we fought them off. They finally said, okay, what does that thing weigh? And seven and a half pounds to this day is still the, the minimum weight for an Olympic class biathlon rifle because of what I did. So that was no the first, kidding. that was the thing. So you really me, are changing the world. I mean, I mean that really, changed the world. It changed the sport. And now yeah, the sport's much more dynamic and, yeah. and, and much more, you know, it, it, a lot of things have happened since then. But that was sort of one of the things that injected a lot of um, uh, speed into the sport and, and you know, a lot, along with some other things. But yeah. but for sure, I, it, was the, it was the thing that made me realize that I could impact something in a major way because I did. And, and, it, and it was pretty cool. Um, so... That in my head, I, while I was making these biathlon stocks, I had guys going, oh, would you make one of those for my hunting rifle? I really want to have this Sitka spruce and carbon fiber thing, you know, so I can go hunting with it. And I was like, well, it, it doesn't look like a hunting rifle to me. And um, so as my, I took an industrial design course in my, my last semester in college. And as my final project in that class, I designed some hunting rifle stocks. And I still have a, a, a copy of Guns Magazine from 1987. On the cover of it, one of the captions is, Gun Stocks of the Future. And inside is an article about Glenn Eberly and his hunting rifle stocks. No kidding. So it's yeah. uh, 32 years later. It's not too late. Yeah, <laughs> right. I still have that chapter of this book ready to write. Ready to write. Yeah. Um, but uh, the point being that at that time, I realized that... Uh, Biathlon stocks were never going to really, you know, pay the rent. Yeah. But there was this whole industry out there that hadn't been injected with performance gear yet. So um, I decided I was going to do that. I, I had the North Face with guns in my head in 1987, and and then I was, you know, 86. I joined the military. 88. I started flying. By 1990, I didn't give a rip about much besides flying, you know, with afterburners. Sure. Running. running. Yeah. <laughs> but you couldn't do that all the time because you ran yeah. out of gas. So I did, you know, you learn how to be judicious. But yeah. Uh, but that was my world, and I was thrived there. I flew the uh, the RF4 Recce Bird, and then the F4G Wild Weasel, and went to the Middle East in that thing, and did, did some really cool stuff, mm. you know, and front, you know, tip of the spear kind of stuff, and yeah, it was really neat. And then. You know, we got the word that, that they were the Air Force was, was getting rid of the F-4, and uh, our, our squadron was transitioning to the A-10. And I oh, told sure. that to anybody in the, yep. in the you know, now I've, I know all these Army, army guys or, or Marines yep. or, you know, who they're, they are, and they're all like, oh, man. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that just gets their attention when I tell them I flew the A-10. Yep. Um, so I was the first pilot in our squadron to go to flight school for the A-10 out of the F-4 and then to uh, lead the, you know, me and two other guys led the squadron into that mission by becoming instructor pilots. And I flew the F first F A-10 into our, you know, our uh, unit. And no um, so, yeah, just cool, you know, a little, God like I had this me. Forrest Gump light, this crazy thing. And, yeah. but, but I'm not, I'm telling you that because I've done a lot of stuff, but I still go back and go, I, uh, I've learned humility and, uh, and anybody could have done this because I'm no special guy other than, you know, whatever lucky doors have opened for me. <laughs> Talk to so. me. I mean, you've done so much, and, and, and I want to be sure that people are able to find you and find your company. Yep. Uh, but if there was one bit of advice from your rich experience, Glenn, oh. what would that be for somebody that's in transition and when we talk about transition, we, we talk about the practical tactical, you're from military life to civilian life. but 
transition is always happening. I mean, you're a perfect example of this, where you have transitioned from opportunity to career to failure through failure, push yep. through it, come out on top. So life is full of transition, but what's that one bit of advice you would give somebody that's going through transition? Well, I think it's keep your eyes open. It's like when somebody, so we, we didn't get to the fact that I own this company now that makes all these really cool backpacks, yeah. and we changed that world too. I mean, we changed the way snipers go to war all over the world, period. And, yeah. and, and lucky me for being able to do that, because that's really meaningful. I had guys coming back from Iraq saying, oh man, you're saving lives, because you know the snipers aren't getting shot because they're not carrying scope rifles exposed anymore. And, and Wow, you that's know, powerful. That. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I was God put me in the right places for the right reasons to get to get me there. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. Um, but if somebody asked me, you know, what pack should they buy? I'm like, study them. Look for the one that that hits you more, most dead center, and that's probably for you. I can't tell you, you know, what what's what you're gonna like. Yeah, and that's true in life itself. You know, if you keep your eyes open, everybody has. You know that one thing that they see that could be done better, or that they that they, that they kind of gravitate towards, and that's that's it, man. That's the door. That's the one you step through. That's it's great advice, and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna extend this interview a little bit if if you'll give me a little bit of grace because I, I what I see often, Glenn, is is men and women that get trapped by their circumstances. So you say keep your eyes open. Uh, and I think you're the perfect teacher for this. This is why I'm asking you this question is keep your eyes open. But how do I keep my eyes open when I feel like I'm being buried? And I got to believe that through training experiences, through your different experiences, yeah. that there were probably moments in your life. And maybe not. Maybe you're just wired <laughs> no, and geared I mean, differently. I've been but, buried many times. Yeah. yeah but yeah. how do you keep your eyes open when you're like, man, I'm, I'm over my head? Um, I think a lot of things just come down to attitude. I mean, you've got yeah, to good. decide that you're on this earth, earth for a purpose. And then that's got to lead you to the desire to be happy. And then I'll tell you this, the most important thing I've learned in my life is that there's something good in everything. All the crap that happens to you, the worst moments, teach you something. And, and that is the good. You come out of that with good. So when you're down and feeling buried and like nothing good's going to ever happen to me again, I, I felt that a ton of times in my life. But knowing that, that that too has a purpose and is going to end, you know, gives you hope. And hope is the thing that gets you out of that hole, right. you know, but, but even the suck, you know, teaches you something, makes you feel good. When looking back at it later on, you're like, if you're uh, living the right life, which we all hope to do, which is the whole point of this, the ability to look back and realize that the, that, that moment where you really thought it was ne never going to get better did, and that it really taught you something. And that's, I think, in the moment, knowing that that's where it's going to end, and you're going to be okay, and move on from it. When you, when that door does open, you recognize it. That's that's the, yeah. thing, right? That's that mantra. This too shall pass, right? I, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, well, for sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, uh, I don't know how many times I would be down there yeah. just picturing someplace calm as I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to get through an issue. So yeah, yeah, this is good. How how do people find you? How do they? Sure. You know, Everly stock is, I mean, you do so much. You talk about the stuff you're doing for special forces, the, how you've changed industry. Um, why should people come visit your company? Let's talk about well, that. Well, we have the, the coolest and most, uh, the, the most bandwidth of, I think, any in company in this industry. I mean, if you really start looking around, I spoke earlier about the North Face, face with guns being right. a vision. Yep. We're about there. And, and we just haven't grown up yet, so, so we have all the cool tools you could ever imagine. It, well, not really, I'm, I'm gonna make some more. I've got some really cool ideas. I'm just right? dying to go yeah. do, yeah. So, 
but but we're both a hardware-based company and a nylon-based company, and ultimately you'll, you're going to start to see all that. Um, so it's really interesting. It's also really good in that. You know, I, I see packs that are 14 years old now walking around, um, and there are hundreds of thousands of Everly stock packs in the world. I, my warranty department lights are out four and a half days a week, one guy in there half day a week, supporting all that stuff. So the quality's there, wow. the comfort, the function, the, all these yeah. things are there, and then just a whole bunch of cool stuff that people don't even know about, because I've not been good at telling them <laughs> sure. um, is there. So. Yeah, so we're in Boise, Idaho, really easy to find. If you're ever in Boise, Idaho, we have a little retail shop where you can come see this stuff. It's cool, but of course, like everybody else, we're on the internet, everlystock.com. And, um, and, and I think it's going to be easy to find us. People are going to start, who, who pre previously didn't know about us are going to see yeah. us because I finally hired the right guys to start telling the world the story and, and, and putting it out there. And, um, and we're making connections now with people that are just super excited that we're finally talking to them because they're like, why, why don't you guys ever talk to me? Well, it's because Glenn Everly's in charge and he doesn't look away from what he's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a compelling story. You've got such a compelling story, Glenn. Uh, your products that you talk about, and when I started hunting around, I'm like, my gosh, this is, it's such a rich, I mean, when I was there, I got lost in it, and I'm not a big hunter or anything like that anymore. I mean, it's just, it's good, yeah. and I hope people do visit you, and they will visit you. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. no question. Yeah. 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 yeah I feel it, it, it's, it's kind of fun in that you mentioned being lost. You know, that's, that's a, also a factor of the fact that we haven't made it easy for people to make the intersection of what, how our stuff works and all that. Like, I had modular, modular pack systems figured out 15 years ago, really good ones. Um, that are very practical and that are very efficient. And, and that allows you to scale a pack up or down based on the needs of the moment. You know, the, the best idea in the, in the world of backpacking. Um, and we have all that stuff there, but I failed to express the fact that it, it worked the way it did to people. Sure. <laughs> you know, so sure. I've got some guys now that, you know, we're, we're, and, and also, as I mentioned, we put this retail shop together where we can start, you know, playing with the products and, and I can show people how they work. And then they, they get excited and show the people. And so, you know, while that's going on right now, and, and we are getting better at telling the story, it's going to be really fun. It, there's a really cool set of things coming. Well, it's such a great story, too. And I, I want to thank you, Glenn, for being a guest on the show. I, I, I love what you said, which is, number one, keep your eyes open. Uh, number two, what I picked up from this is don't let your circumstances define you. Oh, 100%. Uh, and really, identity, don't allow your identity to be shaped by what you're doing for a living. Like yeah. your identity should be more internal than that and maybe more grounded yeah. than that. Or even you know, it's not shaped by the fact that you're not doing anything for, anything for a living. I sure. mean, if you're in that, like, I don't know what I'm going to do, man, something's going to happen and yeah. it's your thing, you know? And if it's not your thing, you're going to know it and you're going to move out, back out and go do something else. I mean, there have been a bunch of things I thought I was going to end up doing that I didn't. And, you know, thank God I'm not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's your point. Keep your eyes open, man. Glenn, I, I got to thank you for just being a guest on the show. I appreciate you being here. And yeah. uh, Well, Mike, thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I think it's super cool and, and, and it's neat to give people like me a voice. You know, it, I am shy. I'm humble. I don't I don't normally do this sort of thing, yeah. but, it, but it's also good. It's good for us to, to realize that there are some Americans out here that and a whole bunch of us, not just certainly me. I'm just sure. one, but it's it's fun to be part of it. So thanks. Yeah, you betcha. Thanks again, folks. Be sure that you visit EverlyStock.com. Check it out, and uh, man, dig into Glenn's story. It's such a compelling story. And if you're in life's transition right now, go back and listen to this because this is rich. There is there are many rich lessons in what Glenn shared and what Glenn has been through. 
And um, man, don't give up. Oh, keep pressing on. Press forward. Fail forward. And uh, know fail that forward. The, I like that. Yeah, I love it is, that. It is fail <laughs> forward, baby. That. Fail forward all day long. <laughs> and as Glenn says, keep your eyes open. That's cool. And just know that uh, you too could potentially change the world.